the good parts about coming out of an experience like that is that what you've learned at the end of the day that's what you're left with because you know yeah we were the best restaurant in Australia but does that matter anymore this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep Adelaide's restaurant offering has evolved beautifully over the last decade and there are some people that have been integral in taking dining to a new level in the city of churches while maintaining the all-important sense of place too. Greta Wallstadt is the venue manager of RK in Norwood, South Australia. Greta, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you going? Really good. It's great to get you on the show. You've, uh, you're involved in a pretty influential restaurant at the moment with RK, but your whole career has been pretty incredible there in, in Adelaide. Um, how's things going at the moment? Yeah, good. Um, we've obviously had a bit of a, a rocky time as everyone, um, but you know we're certainly feeling like we're coming out of the other side of it, which has been really exciting to see the restaurant grow. Um, as when we opened, it was really just, we thought it was the tail end of COVID and closures and things like that, but it turns out it really wasn't. So <laughs> there were certainly some challenges that... Um, you know, some good, some bad, um, but we, we're we really starting to feel the restaurant um, grow into itself. The, the restaurant is sort of based on sort of cooking over fire or cooking over embers and there's a, in the kitchen there's, a, there's not many other things that uh, Jake Kelly can sort of lean on in regards to cooking. What's it like from your perspective with the front of house dealing with a kitchen that's dealing with the elements like that? Yeah, I mean, it certainly comes with its challenges. You know, you can't just – Cooking a piece of meat isn't just like cooking it in a pan. You know, you can't just whip something up if something goes wrong or someone needs to leave suddenly. You really have to have that quite well planned out. So, yeah, it's it's certainly been an interesting um, aspect. I mean, I've worked in kitchens that have had fires within them, um, but certainly not a hundred percent of the kitchen. So, it's certainly fascinating for the for the team for the the restaurant team, but also for guests as well, you end up having all of these really interesting conversations and the restaurant is, the kitchen itself is so open that everyone is sitting there watching them work and watching the fire and stuff. It actually is quite um, mesmerising for people. So, yeah, it's really, really interesting. Does it affect the timing of things and the way that you run the front of house compared to other restaurants that you've been involved with? Definitely. I mean, <clears throat> there's certainly an aspect of, uh, you, you know, things happening on the fly. You can't really, you know, you can't really execute that well, but you just need to have a lot of pre-planning, a lot of thinking. I think when we first opened the restaurant, you know, the, re the restaurant floor itself sits 80 people, but with turns in there, you're sometimes doing up to 140 people. So before we worked out how the restaurant was all going to work, it was really challenging and, you know, sometimes there's these long waits and people can't understand why, of course, because they're not used to that and we weren't used to that either. And to be honest, I don't think the kitchen was really used to it. So trying to navigate your way through that as quickly as possible and find solutions for those problems really quickly uh, was certainly challenging. But I really feel like now we understand the fire, we understand how to deal with it. So we can execute service much more efficiently now. What are things like in, in Adelaide at the moment? You mentioned that you thought sort of the waves of COVID were sort of over when the restaurant opened, but that was a year and a half ago now. Uh, how, how are you feeling now and about the year ahead? Yeah, I mean, we, we've just, uh, Fringe has just started here in Adelaide, uh, which is really exciting. It's always a very busy time uh, for for Adelaide, you know, thousands and thousands of people coming in and watching shows and that kind of thing. So we have definitely got an influx of guests. So it's a very exciting time. You kind of feel a buzz back in the air, which we really haven't felt for quite a few years. Um, so, yeah, I think things are really starting to pick up. Restaurants are starting to open, new bars, you know, you can feel growth coming back in into the city for sure. 
I want to explore sort of what you're doing there, but um, take us back to when you were young. You grew up in South Australia. What sort of role did food play in your family when you were a kid? Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up on a farm in just outside of Lindock in Barossa Valley, uh, which I've, you know, really, really fortunate um, childhood. We, you know, got to spend days carting hay and, you know, putting the irrigation on and, you know, all of these little uh, bits and pieces of farm life that really, you know, instilled this great sense of uh, connection with the land and that kind of thing. Um, my parents, it wasn't a working farm at the time I was born. They, it, My father had gone in and out of dairy farming, that kind of thing. Um, both of my parents worked in local government, um, which certainly I think played a part in you know, who I am now and what my kind of morals and ethics are now. Um, but, yeah, it was really, you know, we had we had like a little herd of cows and horses and chickens, ducks, that kind of thing. My parents were very big on eating at the dinner table every night and mum would always cook us breakfast every morning before school. So food was certainly always around us. My mum the cook, my father the the farmer. Um, so, yeah, we always had that kind of farm routine. Um, things are very different on the farm these days. It's certainly very much a working farm. So watching that grow and evolve over my childhood has been really interesting. Tell us a little bit about the Barossa. It's it's lauded as one of the great wine regions, um, but tell us a bit about it from your perspective and what it was like growing up in it. Oh, yeah, it was, you know, such a beautiful place to grow up. It's very dry. It can be very cold in winter. You know, we've got a creek that runs through the property, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, growing up in the Barossa, it's a small country town, really. Um, well, it's a—it's actually a culmination of lots of small country towns. So going to school, you don't just, you know, hop on the bus. You know, we live down a dirt road. So our parents always took us to the bus to get to school that, you know, we would – where we met all of our friends and that kind of thing. Um, but we – I don't know. We – created all of these really beautiful relationships, um, people that I still know now, my best friend um, I've known since I was, you know, 13 years old. We grew up together in the Barossa. So it's certainly a community. Um, I think that's probably, again, lends itself to what my view of hospitality and things like that is now. Um, but, yeah, it's a really beautiful place to grow up. When did you first sort of start thinking about hospitality as a career? Was it something that you were always drawn to? Oh, it's a funny story. <laughs> Do you know, I went to school, um, I went to a few different schools. I ended up finishing my schooling, my senior years in, um, in Adelaide. But um, I never thought about hospitality really. In fact, the first hospitality job I ever had in the Barossa Valley, I got fired from. Um, I was 17. I was, you know, the Barossa is a small place and it's a small country town. Everyone goes to the pub and has a drink and that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, I just, I don't know, I was working at this little resort in the Barossa for about three months and I remember one morning calling in sick at like, you know, 6 a.m. or something for my breakfast shift and that was pretty much it. And I didn't think too much else about it really. Um, but I really, I certainly fell into hospitality. I was doing a university degree in politics, um, and international studies. And I, I thought that's what I really, really wanted to do. And I still feel, you know, very connected to that side of my life. Um, thanks to, certainly thanks to my parents. Um, politics was always something we talked about you know, over the kitchen, the dinner table, that kind of thing. We're always very connected with the news and things that were happening in the world. And I needed to get a part-time job after I finished school. And I had been applying at all of these different restaurants and things like that. I had no idea. I didn't even know how to carry three plates. And I got this this job trial at this little restaurant on Guja Street and I had no – I didn't even know – it, like I, I knew nothing about it 
And so I walked into my trial. They'd call me that day saying, oh, can you come in tonight? We've got a function on, just wear, you know, black pants and that kind of thing. And I was like, okay. Um, and I walked in and would you believe it, it was a gourmet travel wine dinner <laughs> for Alpha Box and Dice. At this time, all these words meant nothing to me. And there was full restaurant. I walked in and I went, oh, shit. And so I kind of fumbled my way through service and I – the boss at the time um, took me upstairs and she goes, uh, I, I actually said to her straight away before she could even say anything, I was like, look, just, don't, you know, save your breath essentially. I don't know what, I'm so out of my depth. I didn't even know what was going on all service. And she looked at me and she goes, no, I really, I think you might have something here. I really, I feel like, you know, with some training, I think that you could really take a lot from this industry. And I went, oh, okay, cool. And so I started working at this restaurant called Celsius, uh, which was certainly, it was the restaurant that, you know, got me excited about um, hospitality and food and wine and that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, it was this little uh, this little restaurant that um, – essentially was like in this old nightclub. It used to be called Escobar and it was quite well known in Adelaide because it used to be like a bikies headquarters and someone got like shot out the front. So it was like not, it was a known destination. So when they opened this fine dining restaurant and it was really like it was at the time of like the, the peak of gastronomic like molecular gastronomy. So there was like foams and, you know, there was little like there were smokes, there was soils, there was, you know, all of those little parts of that gastronomic era that really like, you know, swept across the globe. Those, that's what really we were working with. And it was the first time that I'd really understood this kind of connection from paddock to plate, you know, from growing up on a farm and, you know, we would – you know, our cows would end up in the freezer, you know, that's how we would eat that kind of thing. We were very accustomed to that, you know, lifestyle of, you know, you grow your own vegetables and that kind of thing. And so it was the first time that I'd really understood this synergy between those two things and understood that kind of full circle. And I, you know, I mean, to put it very plainly, I absolutely fell in love and I was working as a casual and I just, I became this like crazy restaurant nerd where <laughs> I started, you know, it was the first time I understood what gourmet traveler was and what this, you know, that's back when they were doing the, the top 100 restaurants and where did we land and what, you know, what, sh what chef's doing this and what restaurants are opening and you know, who was this, this maitre d' of the year? And I have this very, very clear, vivid memory of looking at a uh, the Gourmet Traveller magazine when they did the restaurant um, awards and looking at this picture um, of someone who I respect so greatly now. Uh, her name's Lara. Um, she was maitre d' of the year and I was looking at her picture in Gourmet Traveller and I just looked at it and I remember going, I want to be that. That's what I want. And from then it was like, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to learn everything that I can. I'm going to be here as much as I can. I'm going to, you know, all those extra little details and that kind of thing. I'm going to be there to learn them, understand them, hear them, you know. And I became obsessed with this idea of like telling a story at a table. You know, I remember the first day they let me run my own table for the first time and I was so nervous, you know. I would go, I'd be sick before every service because I was so anxious, I was so nervous, I just wanted to do like the best job and be the best waiter. And I – yeah, it really – it took me by surprise but it also took me by storm and I, I just, you know, I wrote notes. I wrote many notes over and over and over again trying to get these, like, ingredients in my head of how to explain this dish perfectly and, I, you know, I've still got those notebooks to this day of all of these and all these little menus and things like that. It was, yeah, it really became 
an obsession. And it was a, it, you know, it was certainly a point where I turned around and I said, I don't want to, I remember saying to my mum, she'll hate me for telling this story. But I said to my mum, I don't want to be, I don't want to go to uni anymore. You know, I started this, this course and I was on this other journey that I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And I said, I, I want to do this full time. And she just, she cried and she was like, please don't do that. <laughs> and I was, I was steadfast in, in what I wanted to do. There was just no, there was no talking me out of it, nothing. And at the time, my restaurant manager, um, Bonnie, who certainly was someone who, you know, taught me the the basics of of what hospitality should be and how you should look after people and anticipating people's moves and thoughts and understanding of, you know, hospitality as a whole. She she left very very soon into my um, my job there at Celsius, and they turned around. They offered me the restaurant manager position. And I took it, obviously, because I was, like, completely enamoured by the whole thing. I mean, I wasn't a very good restaurant manager back then. <laughs> you know, I think about what I was then compared to what I was now, uh, what I am now. Um, you know, those two people are so different, so different, so many lessons learned. You were part of um, Arana from its inception way back in 2013. How, how did that come about? And tell us about um, the beginnings of Arana. Oh, goodness, what a story. <clears throat> um, so I did take the job as the restaurant manager of Celsius and I was there for about a year. And then I kind of quickly realised, you know, I have this you know, thirst for for knowledge and learning. And as soon as I stop learning something, I have to go and find something else that I can learn from. And I really felt like I knew in my heart that it wasn't right. That was like, you know, I was 19 and I was like, I just, I don't know enough yet. And I feel like I've learned everything that I can here. So, you know, it was very difficult for me to leave because it was that real family orientated. It was run by a small family Um that, you know, really pushing these boundaries and I just, you know, it was hard for me to leave but I did. Um, I did a brief stint at McGill Estate Restaurant um, and I was like, that's the best restaurant in South Australia right now and I've heard about these people that work there and they, you know, they're pushing boundaries and they're doing all of these amazing things so I'm going to go and work there. So I took a casual position there. And I'm, that's where I met Aaron Fenwick, Josh Pickin, Shannon Fleming. I met all of these people that, you know, I really looked up to and, and really respected. And so I was working there, oh, all good. Like they'd done this big refurbishment. It was just after Jock had left. And I didn't really know who this person Jock was because like, I'd never seen him. I'd never, you know, he wasn't ever there when I suddenly started working there and so I had no idea of this huge narrative that was going on behind the scenes there I just was going in with my you know new new spank like my spanking new uniform and I was like this is amazing brand new restaurant they'd done all these you know million dollar renovations <clears throat> and then within four weeks they all resigned and I was so disappointed because that's why I went there. I went there to learn from these people. I think in the end it was like 10 people resigned to go and open this restaurant called Arana. And I was just like, oh, I had no idea, you know. I was so focused on just be getting better and being better in my profession and learning and that kind of thing. So it really shocked me. And then I had like become kind of friends with with Aaron and Josh and they turned around to me and they said, we've got one position left in the restaurant. Do you want it? And I was like, I don't really know what I'm saying yes to, <laughs> but okay, <clears throat> I guess so. Let's do it. And I went and met Jock for the first time at Arana in, you know, it was in complete construction mode. I had no idea what this person was. I, I can tell you 
exactly what I was wearing. I can tell you exactly the weather. I can tell you the time of day, every single moment, every single detail about that moment of walking into that restaurant for the first time and walking up those stairs and walking into what would be the dining room and looking at this person who I didn't know was Scottish (laughs) until he started speaking and, you know, he said, oh, yeah, how you going? And I was like, oh, good. You know, I was like terrified. I don't really know these people. I've said yes to this job that I don't really understand what it is and, you know, okay, there's this weird like construction site and he was like, you know, we had about a five-minute conversation and there's plans everywhere and all of these things and I went, all right then, great, see you next week. And so we, I started. I just started I started working by like sanding the stairs and painting the walls and like grouting the bathrooms. Like I had no idea what, what I was going to do. And I was, you know, I was just a waiter back then. That was going to be my job when this restaurant was complete. And there was a restaurant downstairs and a restaurant upstairs. The restaurant downstairs was Street ADL and then upstairs was Arana. So it was six tables. Um, There was seven staff, so three front of house staff and then four in the kitchen. And we could only sit at that time like 20 guests. The menu was like 24 snacks and eight courses. It was so long and, like, just one menu. We – and, you know, this is all based around, you know, Indigenous produce and foraging and this whole concept of, you know, eating what you can, you know, source around you and that kind of thing. We had a full-time forager. We had, like, all of these things that I had never even thought about, the the aspects of service – these details, like how can you run a restaurant that only serves 20 people? I had never understood that. I'd never seen it before. You know, we started having these conversations about all these restaurants and the world's 50 best and Michelin and, you know, Gourmet Traveller and all of these chefs and, you know, this. I was suddenly immersed in all of this learning. I was completely like intoxicated by it all and you know when you build a when you're part of building a restaurant from the very beginning you have this connection to it that is so emotional and especially on you know we didn't have millions of dollars behind us it was just jock and you know it was uh, unbelievable what we pulled off this dinky little kitchen, this, you know, dinky little dining room. The dining room tables were, you know, they, granted they were like um, Parker and Fleur tables, but he bought them off of eBay. Like the chairs, I'm actually sitting right now in a chair from Orana that I have in my house that is, you know, that was in that dining room. And these things, you know, we sanded them back and re-varnished them and, you know, all of those things, those little pieces of what that restaurant ended up becoming were because of those little things in the beginning that we, you know, we were so connected to that space. And I don't, I, um, I loved it in the, you know, you know, being connected and all those types of things, but I didn't know what that would end up becoming for me eventually. And, you know, this sense of team and sense of family that was kind of the building blocks to who I am now as a manager, it was really because of that restaurant. Well, Arana won so many awards and you yourself were nominated um for Maitre D of the year as, as well. What, what, what was the real sort of key moments or that stood out in your time there for you? Um, there's so many. You know, I reflect, uh, thinking about doing this podcast over the last week, I've ha- gone into this like deep reflection. <laughs> you know, I worked there for seven years and it's a, a in my like formative years as 
in hospitality as well. Like I was, you know, in my early 20s and for me in the beginning it was like I'm going to, I want to be the best. I want to be the best at what I do. In every single aspect of my job, I want to be the best. And that's, you know, that was the thing that drove me in the beginning. And that's, I mean, that's a very, it's a very interesting conversation to have of what, why does that drive you and why does that drive people and why is it, what is it about those fine dining restaurants that, you know, create this obsession with being the best and you know alongside that as well was you know we were doing something different we were pushing boundaries and you know we stood in a restaurant for the first six months of it opening and there was like no one booked like there were days we would not open the restaurant because there was no one in there because we didn't have PR, we didn't have like, we didn't have, you know, a real Instagram or anything like that. Like it wasn't, it, we just opened the doors one day <laughs> and, and then just like hope for the best. It was very strange. And only after about a year of kind of doing that, it started to get busier and busier and busier and people started to talk about it and, you know, I think it it took a long time for us to understand who we were going to be as a team. It took us a long time to understand what the experience was going to be. And, you know, when you're up against these amazing restaurants that have millions of dollars behind them, that have these incredible settings. I mean, Arana was up a, a weird staircase in an alleyway that looked over Rundle Street out of four tiny windows. You know, we're not we're not in some, you know, lake on, in Italy or something like that. Like it was this tiny little seven by five room really and it was about what you created at the table. It was about what you created in the room. It was not about your destination. It was never about, you know, what, what you were looking at outside the window. You had to rely solely on what was on the plate and what was being said to the guests. And that for me was like, was my greatest challenge from start to finish of, of my time there was always trying to make that experience bigger and better. And, you know, we did at first, like if I ate the menu now that we first served to, you know, a guest in Arana, it would probably be heaps weird. And, you know, it disjointed and you'd be like the service was all like weird and who are these people and what are they doing? You know, I wasn't really allowed to like talk to any tables in the beginning because it's like you need to learn everything about this restaurant before you can speak to someone. And so you kind of those moments were really the the building blocks and the foundations of that. Now, I was a waiter and I – I felt a lot of things about hospitality, you know. I obviously loved it, but it wasn't always this, like, beautiful, you know, we're a family and it's all, you know, lovely and we're, you know, we're in this little restaurant and, it's, you know, it's not so romantic. Like, hospitality for me was very uh, difficult in that time because I was a young woman and, you know, there's a lot of things that were very challenging for me with, you know, with the people that came into that restaurant, the people inside the industry, all of those different things. It's, you know, hard for a young woman to fight through all of that bullshit to come out on the other side. And for me, I really thought, I want to change this. I can't. I can't stand by and let other people go through what I've had to go through to get to this point. You know, I've worked 70, 80 hours a week my entire career. That's just who I am. Like, you know, and I, how do I, how do I stop that from happening? How do I stop, how do I create boundaries for people? And the only way I could see was if I became the manager, 
because I had this really strong view, these strong ethics and morals in my heart that I knew I don't want people to have to claw their way through like I had to. And, you know, and I, I did. I became the restaurant manager and that was very exciting. I, you know, Jock was very, very supportive of me. He was the first person that I felt had given me any sense of empowerment or trust in a restaurant. And he just said to me, essentially, I don't care what you do as long as it's great and I will support you in any decision that you make. You know, that to me as a young woman, I was 24, 23, 24, and I was like, okay, I'm 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 here with you. I I understand this responsibility that you're giving me because I know what journey and what path we're on and where we need to go. And that was, you know, super emotional for me. So that was definitely a key moment. Um I think then, you know, we we ended up getting Gourmet Traveler Restaurant of the Year. And for me, when we opened the restaurant, we landed at like number 16, right? The next year we landed at 11. The year after that, we we were number 10. And then the year after that, we were – I was nominated for Maitre d' of the year. And so I got an invite. And Jock and his wife, Lauren, also were there. And we were sitting in the, in the you know, the, at the dinner, the Gourmet Traveller dinner, and we were watching the screen. They were, you know, counting down the top 10 restaurants and that kind of thing. And as it got closer, it was like 10 and it was like this restaurant, nine, this restaurant. And we knew that we had been like, we hadn't been mentioned yet. So we were either number 11 or we were going up and up and up. And then it like kept going up and up and up and it got to number two. And then they 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 announced Serana as number one and I just, I sat there in like, I surrounded by people I didn't know because, you know, I'm from Adelaide and all I cared about was this little restaurant in Adelaide so I never, you know, I wasn't really exposed to that side of things so I was sitting there not really knowing <laughs> anyone in the room and I was just looking at Jock in absolute disbelief like, oh, my goodness how the fuck did we pull this off? <laughs> and, you know, he went up on stage and he accepted the award and, you know, it was this very beautiful moment that I'll never forget because he was quite teary about it and, you know, so was I. I mean, I, cry- I, mean, I cried a drop of hat. Ask any one of my staff members. <laughs> I, I just was, you know, we called the team on the street um, outside of what was what is still now um, Chin Chin in Sydney, and we spoke to the team on the phone, and it was this oh this moment. It makes me want to cry now, actually. You know, like this moment of j- true joy, this pu- the purest joy. You know, and you know we'd made it, we'd done it. Like it was like everything that we wanted, everything that we, you know, pushed for and drove for and, you know, all the sacrifices that we've made and all those things, you know, and we got to number one and that was so exciting. But I don't know, it's interesting to reflect upon it now um, because it comes at a cost. Those things come at a cost. When you work in fine dining at that level all the time, people are scrutinising you. You are under so much pressure. Every single service means everything. Every single plate that goes out, every conversation that you have, the way you move, the way you talk to your staff, the way you talk to guests, the way, you know, how well the dishes are washed, like all of these little things that add up to this experience that has to be perfect every single time. And, you know, it's it, from a business perspective, fine dining is not necessarily sustainable. You know, it's a lot of money. The, it costs a lot to execute. You know, you're doing five services a week, sometimes more, and <clears throat> you're working a lot all the time. And when you're not working, you're thinking about work. And when you're not 
thinking about work, you're doing something that is like somehow related to what you're doing. Like you're eating at a restaurant and you're thinking about like, oh, this, you know, this person's doing it this way and, and that way. And you're, you're learning and understanding and watching like your mind never switches off. And for me, that became, that became very troublesome in the end because you become obsessed and addicted and, you know, you, you focus so much of your energy and so much of who you are into that experience. You forget what you actually like and who you are and what you should be doing. And, you know, in the very beginning of hospitality for me, it was like, it doesn't matter if you're sick. It doesn't matter if you're tired. It doesn't matter if you're hungry you put this mask on and you go and you present yourself in a certain light, in a certain way to people. And that was incredibly detrimental for me m- mentally because you stop when you, when you are doing that all the time, you stop thinking about yourself. You stop thinking about who you are. And it's that, it, and that happens everywhere in hospitality. And certainly at that level, you know, because people want to see, a certain type of person. They have a certain idea of what service should be. And at the end of the day, service is subjective, right? Like it is, there is no objective right way to serve somebody because every single person that comes into your restaurant is different. They understand things differently. They taste things differently. Palettes are subjective. Like, and people come in and they expect that you act in a certain way and then you start doing that because that's your job, right? That's what you get paid to do. That's why they pay their bill at the end of the night. So you adapt your personality, you adapt how you walk, how you talk, all of those things to give that person the exact right experience. And I mean, you can say that in a really nice way and it sounds really beautiful and, you know, oh my God, wow, you're so good at your job. But really at the heart of it, it is very difficult to uphold that for a long time. And, you know, so I guess when I look back on being the best, right, and being this amazing restaurant that gets written about and you get nominated for Maitre d' of the Year and, you know, you you win Restaurant of the Year and all these different publications and all these different things, you know, that ends up being... I don't know what is it for? What is it what is it for in the end? Because like yeah, people write about you and that's great. But is it worth it? You know, that that side of things for me now when I operate a team, when I talk to my team, when I address my team, you know, I never talk about being the best. I never talk about, you know, striving for, you know, whatever it is, you know, being in the 50 best or being these things because it, it can kill people, you know. It was, it was my, you know, the end of my career in, in some ways in fine dining because I just, I couldn't do it anymore, you know. It became a, a, real, a real dark time for me, um, as kind of COVID started and I had moved away from um, Arana and Arana closed and it became very difficult for me to go, okay, I'm now sitting in a house for months. I feel like I've lost my identity. I feel like I've lost my home. You know, I don't know where to go from here. And that was really, really challenging. I mean, Everything that that restaurant was, everything that Jock is and continues to be, I mean, he, for me, was my mentor. He taught me so much about management. He took me all over the world. He took me all over the country. You know, the things that I have learned and seen and been a part of would never have happened without meeting Jock, you know, that relationship that we had was so important and it continues to be. I think he, I mean, he's the reason why I stand in front of my team now and, you know, say the things that I do and 
and you know that's what he taught me and that's you know the good parts about coming out of an experience like that is that what you've learned at the end of the day that's what you're left with because you know yeah we were the best restaurant in Australia but does that matter anymore you mentioned um, the challenges that you faced as many did with the, when the pandemic started, but uh, as you mentioned, it's also the year that Irana shut. Was there a, was there a turning point for you um, where you were able to move forward um, with a new approach to hospitality and to take all of the skills that you had learned, but in a different way? Definitely. I think, you know, and this is probably my ego talking, but at before Arana had closed, I was like, you know, I'm great. I'm excellent at my job. I, you know, I have like a lot of respect in the industry, blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's all bullshit. Like it is, it is. It's like, you know, you get caught in this trap of, uh, you know, thinking you're excellent. But when I, you know, when I, I left and I, I had a lot of work to do on myself. I had a lot of decompressing to do, a lot of unpacking. I mean, I didn't talk about the restaurant for a long time after that. You know, it was a very, I I think very, I feel very deeply and I think very deeply about things. And I had to really, really reflect upon, you know, what that was like and what I wanted to do next and I felt really like how do I back this up where am I going to go what am I going to do you know I can't do anything because suddenly we're in this like crazy pandemic and I think it was the best thing that really could have happened for me because it made me stop and it made me really reflect upon who I wanted to be and why did I want to work in hospitality? Why did I want to be a manager? You know, what are the parts of, you know, this industry that I really loved? And what that is, is management of people. That's really essentially what it boiled down to is, you know, this renouncing of this ever everlasting <clears throat> pursuit of being the best of the best of the best. In my eyes, if you create the perfect, you know, combination of good service, good food, good wine, good drinks, all of these things, and your team is happy, that comes to you naturally. You don't need to be this crazy, like, tyrant that, you know, goes around being like, this isn't good enough. This is, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like teach your staff, teach your staff how to be good. Teach your staff how to be better. You know, management is for me about understanding people and understanding your team and also caring about them. And I really, I really took that into my next role, which was at um, Matolo in McLaren Vale and I was working alongside Vincenzo La Montagna. Now, the woman I, that was in the Gourmet Traveller maitre d' of the year photo that I saw, you know, 10 years before that, uh, this is her husband. So Vince and I worked together for the first time. I'd known Vince for a long, 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 long time and he called me one day and was like, what are you doing? Do you want to do you want to come work with me? I'm working at this winery restaurant and I want you to come and work with me. And I was like, I would love to do that. You know, I would love to go and, you know, I needed to get out of the city. I needed a job, um, but I needed to get out of the city and just go and be somewhere that I could kind of just focus on the real basics of, you know, just being a manager, just running a restaurant, no pressure, just cooking really good food and serving, you know, really, really good food. And we did that together for about a year. And I think that was – that I, at the time I didn't realise how important that was for me to be away from all of, all of that madness that is like fine dining and the craziness and, you know, obviously – the closure of Irana was not a quiet one. 
Um, you know, and that was quite emotional for me. I had, you know, reporters contacting me, like people, you know, messaging me on Instagram, you know, it was, it was an emotional time for sure. And so, yeah, I, I certainly, I needed that. I needed that kind of sea change as it were. Um, and just some time to regroup and understand what I wanted to be and, you know, then this opportunity came up with Jake. And I had met Jake uh, a couple of times over the years. I did a burnt ends and that kind of thing. And, you know, he said, I'm going to open a restaurant. And obviously, you know, if you know Jake, you know that he's like champing at the bit to open his own restaurant. And he's so excited. And, you know, it's his first time doing that. And, you know, that was like, I kind of looked at that energy that he had and went I yeah I want to do this I want to I want I'm ready I'm ready to go back and go back to the city and and do something that was you know very challenging and I, I found it very challenging to be in that situation again of opening a restaurant from scratch but this time I had all these years of experience behind me and these boundaries that I had been able to create for myself. And I really understood truly what I wanted this experience to be for my staff. I think once you hit rock bottom, you understand how to never get back there again. <laughs> and I truly, you know, I, I talked with Jake a lot about what I wanted for the team, what I wanted the restaurant to be like in terms of culture and morals and ethics and all of these things that, you know, we, I feel there is this bubbling turning point happening at the moment in hospitality and this moment of change. And I said to him, I want to be a part of this. I want, I want us to create something that's really special and beautiful and delicious and all these things. But at the same time, I want to do things right because we have all been in situations where things haven't been right for us and how detrimental that has been on people's mental health, their physical health, you know, shaming people because they're having a sick day or shaming people because, you know, they didn't work their 70th hour of the week. Like that's, that's, over I don't want that and he was like yep I'm on board like let's let's do this and you know we're very lucky to be a part of a restaurant group um with Marty Palmer that he truly supports that and that's you know really the first time that I have been a part of something that you know really gets behind that aspect of hospitality well, uh, you're doing incredible things down there and had an incredible influence over your career on Adelaide's uh, dining culture. What do you love about what you do? Um, I think it's, like I said before, it, it's really, for me, it's about the people. Like, I love serving guests and I love, you know, being in service. That is, will always be, you know, that will always be a part of my um passion and drive for being within this industry um but it's for me it's the team you know there's nothing more perfect than watching your team work together and when you've created in, an environment in which those people can thrive and learn and you know work together and all those things like when people come into our restaurant they say you know the food's great the beverages, oh, my God, and the service, wow. But the thing that they say the most is watching your team work together is incredible. That's the thing that is, for me, that is a hard thing to pull off. It's a hard thing to execute and, you know, like it's not like we go around being like, we love each other, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, the, it's the anticipation of your team members' moves, right? Like you're holding a tray or you're holding plates and someone cruises past and grabs them out of your hands. It's those tiny, tiny moments that that's, that's the moment for me that is like this is true understanding of teamwork. And for me, it's always been like that. I've always wanted that 
that synergy, that synchronization, those beautiful moments where you set a table at exactly the same time. You know, when you do those things together as a team or, you know, you go into the kitchen, you pick up plates and you're communicating with not just like the person that's on the pass, but you're communicating with the entire kitchen. And everyone can see you doing that, you know, like those moments for me are so beautiful. And I take management very seriously. I know my team would laugh when they hear me say that. <laughs> um, but for me, it, it is, it's not about having a blanket way of training people. It's not about having a blanket way of um, teaching and understanding. It's about understanding each individual person in your team and tailoring your management to how they learn and how they understand. That's how you get the best out of people. And when you, when you, when you do that, you see incredible results. I mean, every single person that works in my team is so different. They have so many different personalities. They're all these little pieces of a greater puzzle that probably they don't see often when you're working head down and you're very busy in what you do, you probably don't see that greater picture, but I do. And that the puzzle that all of those little pieces put together is so beautiful and so many things to learn and understand so many different experiences from so many different people. You know, for me, that like is such a rich tapestry of what a restaurant Mm. is. Well, Greta, it's an absolute honour to catch up with you today to hear just a part of your story on Deep in the Weeds. Um, Please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, it was an honour. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>